Welcome to the NGO Journey Podcast, where we share the stories of inspiring nonprofit leaders to inspire other changemakers to start, grow, and sustain their own high-impact nonprofit organizations. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the NGO Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Febi Taiwo, an exemplary leader in the NGO sector, and he will be talking to us about leadership, specifically on how youth-led organizations can create global impact. Femi Taiwo is the executive director of Leap Africa, one of Africa's leading youth-focused and youth-led organizations. In his role, he oversees the organization's administration, fundraising, strategy implementation, and program delivery in six African countries. Prior to this position, he was the executive director at Eagles Hope Foundation, also known as HOPE, Helping Other People Excel, where he created and implemented programs that impacted over 12,000 youth in major cities in Nigeria over a five-year period. He holds a first-class degree in computer science from Covenant University and a master's degree in innovation management and entrepreneurship from the Manchester Business School, with research focus on social innovation and entrepreneurship. He is extremely passionate about leadership, enterprise development, youth development, and youth-led development. He sits on the board of the United Nations Global Compact, Nigeria Local Network, and the Covenant University Alumni Association, and advises several youth-focused social organizations across Africa and globally. Welcome, Femi. I'm so honored to be interviewing such an accomplished and exemplary leader in the nonprofit sector. Listeners, I must tell you, I met Femi in 2012 while we were both pursuing our Master's in Innovation Management and Entrepreneurship at the University of Manchester in the UK, and we became friends. And I'm guessing that we became friends because of similar passions. He was already doing great things, and he has gone on to do even greater things since leaving Manchester. And he will be sharing his NGO journey with us today. Welcome, Femi. Thank you so much for accepting the invitation to share your journey on the NGO Journey podcast. Thank you, Lanice here. Um, the pleasure is all mine. Um, and thanks for the opportunity to be on the podcast. And kudos for all the great work you're doing back in Jamaica. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah. you have such an amazing profile in the NGO sector. And I've seen, I've been watching and seeing how you've grown and the impact that you have been creating right across Africa and even globally. So tell us, Femi, how did you get started in the NGO sector? Um, thank you, um, Lanicia. So I'm thinking, um, my, I would say I started out by being a volunteer. So um, over the years, I've always always, always cringed at the at the problems and the challenges all around me back home in Nigeria. And um, I could not just figure out exactly where we were, where we were, and why, despite all the potential and all the all the resources we had. Um, so um, my, my choice of schools, even when I was in high school, um, all the way to university, was kind of influenced with a dream to be a change agent. I mean, I was young then. I did not really understand right. what that really meant. 
um, Nigeria, Nigeria then, when I was um, on my way to, to high school, was being run by the military. And I felt, okay, if I, want to, if, if I wanted to effect a change in the country, I probably should join the military that had the power. So I went to a military <laughs> high school, you know, thinking I needed power to make a change. Um, when oh, I got wow. to the, when I got, yeah. I mean, that was my childish self, right? Um, I got there and realized that, um, okay, I don't necessarily need power to, to, to make a change or to be a change agent. Um, because just while I was still in high school, um, the, the, um, the, the civil, civilian um, people took over from the military. And it was now literally a game of influence and a game of, um, of money. So once again, I thought, you know what, I needed a lot of money to effect a change. So I felt mm-hmm. I needed to choose the path of entrepreneurship and, you know, start out in, in one of the most predominant industry in Nigeria, the oil and gas industry. That was a guaranteed pathway to wealth in my mind, you know, in my young mind. And I actually chose my courses, um, my, my university courses based on the fact that, OK, I want to go into oil and gas industry because I wanted resources to be able to make a change. Um, but while I was in university um, on, on a course co- um, on chemical engineering course, my first year, I went to a good university. Who, um, so one of the things we do at the beginning of your of your freshman year is that you they would tell you to you know take your own courses on your passion, discovering your passion, discovering yourself, discovering your why, your what, and all that. And I realized well, that you I chose university. Yes, I mean that ought yeah, to be happening great. in high school, but I mean right. I didn't have the privilege in high school. Um, and luckily, my university did that in the first year, in the freshman year, in the first few weeks of, of you being in the freshman year. So that was really good for me. And within the first few weeks of uni, I decided that I was going to, you know, I, 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 dis- I, discovered, I discovered that I'd made the wrong choices. Um, ultimately, I found out that what I really wanted to do was to, ch- was to be a change agent, was to solve problems. And that um, power is not domiciled in titles or in positions or in money. But um, being a change agent is more about being a problem solver. It's more about service. It's all about um, being confident in a path, you know, where you can le- utilize your talent, your skills, you know, your energy and your passion and your agency. So when I discovered that, I, I actually even changed my course in my, my second year. I couldn't change in my first year, um, but I started applying to change my course and I changed to computer science in my second year. Yeah. So... Um, I mean, within the first one year um, in university, I, I, I started a journey of self-discovery. And I found that one of the best ways to discover really what I wanted to do and how I wanted to change my world was to be a volunteer. So I volunteered for several nonprofits on campus for my, for my, for my first year. Um, I volunteered then for a prison, a nonprofit that was focused on serving inmates in the prison. So I spent a significant part of my weekends in the prison doing one form of capacity building program for inmates. Or, or just helping the inmates to make sure they have fun and um, and work on their mental health and all that. Um, okay, so I would say that was my journey. Yeah, I mean that was the beginning of it for me. Um, I also served um, in another nonprofit where we used to um, and basically run capacity building programs and youth development programs in different um, youth correctional facilities and orphanages across across um, the southwestern part of Nigeria. Um, then doing that for like two three years in my third year university. Um, the biggest student-led non-profit organization in the school um, had a membership of close to 700 to 800 people. In fact, it was my second year, actually, um, decided that uh, it was time to elect new presidents and new leaders. 
and I was shocked that I was actually elected to be president of that of that um, of that nonprofit. Typically, the presidents are always in the in the final year, um, in the senior year. But yeah, was I in my second year in university, um, um, being the president? So that that became, I would say, my first experience because I wasn't just going about doing projects. Now I was leading, co-leading an organization, and I needed to bother about fundraising, needed to bother about brand management, needed to bother about program design, team development, and all the whatnot. So that was really my first, I would say, real experience, even though it was still like a leading volunteering role right. um, in the nonprofit space. Yeah. Then um, at, in Nigeria, the once you graduate. Is that pardon? this? Right. So is is that organization Hope or Hope came after Hope. that? Hope came after that. So I'm, I'm about to even transition okay. into the Hope story. Right. <laughs> okay. um, so, um, um, so once I graduated from my undergrad, um, my, my university's alumni association um, decided that they wanted to float a nonprofit organization. So the nonprofits in the school were run by students. So the, the alumni association now wanted to form a nonprofit for those of us that had graduated to run, you know, and as a way for all the graduates um, of the university and the alumni of the university to give back to the community and, you know, to, 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 to the nation. Um, so they called a couple of us together, you know, to brainstorm um, and um, told us to pitch our ideas and all that. So basically that's how I got chosen to help found um, and, and start up. Um, so um, that, that was like two years after graduating, actually. So that was like a real organization, fully registered, required my full-time attention. Initially, it, was, it started off as me being a volunteer, just helping to set it up, helping to structure the organization, get it registered and all that. Um, then I, was, I even started to help to recruit. But it was while I was going through the recruitment process that I started thinking it was, I was like, oh, why don't I just lead this full-time for a year? And that's mm-hmm. how I gave myself to open and, and, and um, decided to give myself full time to help, you know, um, test out all the things I had designed on paper. Um, that oh, was probably the most developmental part of my journey. I mean, I almost everything I learned and I'm doing right now, I learned it within that one year, 18 months of running up full time as a full time staff. Wow, that is amazing. That's an amazing journey. I wanted to know, was there... What was the difference when you were just volunteering and you were even appointed to lead this NGO while you were in university compared to helping to start one and to lead one that you helped to form? Hmm. So a, a bit of a difference. So because the one I was working in, um, the one I was volunteering with in the university was already formed like maybe four or five years before, um, you were not starting from scratch. Um, the organization then was called Project One Million, and it already had a brand in the university. It was easy to fundraise. People they were committed givers. You know, um, they were committed. There was a structure already. So my work was basically expanding and helping to grow the organization. But starting from scratch, a nonprofit that was not necessarily operating in the university was going to operate on a bigger scale outside the university and and even work. You know. In, at par with um, other nonprofits, it was a different ballgame entirely. I remember spending a lot of late nights reading books, you know, and reading 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 articles on other business reviews, Stanford Social Innovations Review. There was a book that I, I mean, there's a book I recommend for anybody that is uh, building nonprofits or starting nonprofits or leading nonprofits. It's um it's a book by Peter Drucker. Um, Peter Drucker is the fa- father of management. 
Um, the book is called Nonprofit Management. It's amazing. I mean, it talks about um, helping to clarify the purpose of the nonprofit, um, then helping to build the brand of the nonprofit, then building coalition, that's building people and fundraising and leading a successful nonprofit. So, I mean, I, I invested a lot of time reading because this was a big deal. Um, I, was, I was fundraising um, with a lot of corporates, a lot of foundations. So this was really a big deal. It needed to run professionally. We needed to build a brand, get people excited, even to get people excited to volunteer or to serve on the board or to serve. So it was literally starting from scratch. Um, and, and I think one common theme from the first and the second was passion, you know, and diligence and commitment. But I would say the, sec the starting hope required much more passion, much, much more commitment. And everything paid off basically. And, and literally every other opportunity I had um, after uh, um, was because of hope. I'm telling you, even when I got a job in the private sector, they, they employ, they, the, the interview panels were referring to hope because, I mean, hope really went, went viral. I mean, people heard about impact, people heard the brand was, was interesting to relate with. You know, everyone could feel it, could experience it in, 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 the, in the locations where we were working. You know, it was just a massive eat at the beginning. Um, so yeah. that was really good. Yeah. Yes. I'm happy that you said that because I often tell persons when I'm sharing my story that even how I ended up going to Manchester to do my master's is because of my NGO. So yes, there was academic um, qualifications, but I got the scholarship, I think, because of the work that I would have done starting and running my own NGO. Like that was very significant in the interview to get my scholarship. So I always encourage young people, especially, is to do something outside of the academics, volunteer, yeah. you know, make a difference yeah. within the community. So I'm, I'm happy that you shared that with us. Now, yeah. you are now the executive director of one of Africa's largest and most impactful nonprofit organizations operating in six African countries. Tell us, how did you get here? Well, um, so my, my journey to Leap Africa even connects and, and, and kind of links back to Hope. Um, so here was I, I, had, I, was, I was running Hope, not full time now, um, but and I transitioned um, to work with um, GlaxoSmithKline, GSK. It's a, it's a global pharmaceutical company. But I was still working on youth programs within GSK. Um, and I got an email basically on LinkedIn. Um, apparently, Leap Africa was trying to you know, refresh the leadership team. And um, the founder then was um, just discussing in, in some meetings, random meeting within another organization, um, a consulting firm. And... Um, one lady there had applied to volunteer with Hope. So Hope basically um, used to, runs a series of summer camps, um, some of the biggest summer camps in Nigeria. Um, mm -hmm. So every year we try to gather like almost a thousand plus um, teenagers to teach them leadership, entrepreneurship, and, um, and um, sustainable development um, over the course of the summer at no expense to them. And typically for, for us to host 1,000 teenagers, we typically need 300 full-time volunteers that will be with us in the camp during summer, apart from some other virtual volunteers that are supporting other things. And because of the brand and, and the visibility, we, we, need, we, we used to have um, maybe close to more than 150% of the numbers we need volunteering and applying. So we, the application was a rigorous process. People, get, people apply, people get interviewed. So a lot of very good 
candidates, young professionals who are really hustling to come and give back and volunteer don't get chosen. So this particular lady was one of those who had applied three years and had not been chosen to volunteer for the summer camp specifically. Um, and she was like, oh, have you guys heard about Hope? And they were like, oh, we, we've heard about that Hope. She was like, oh, the guy running Hope actually is already, is leaving Hope, is, he has left his engagement in Hope. He's just seven on the board. Um, he's working with GSK full-time. Which I mean, I think he's someone we should reach out to. And that's how they sent me an email on LinkedIn. And and basically, so it was basically a referral um, from Hope. Wow. Like literally because of the work of Hope that I, I got into this. Um, and I must say, I, I didn't get into it as a, executive director. Um, even though they were looking for at the leadership level and they were still trying to work out the transition, I came in as a program manager for the for the youth programs, which was the biggest um, programmatic area for the organization. Then the organization had some other path, other other um, um, pathways they were working in. I mean, though do, do now we're entirely for youth by youth. Um, and within four months of being program manager, I had to step up as um, as um, the organization had a bit of a crisis moment. And they were like, you know what, Femi, you have to step up. And I stepped up to become the acting executive director. And it, um, I, I got promoted to the director of programs. And I was acting as the executive director. Um, and they gave me some clear targets that if you can, that we will look for an, an, a new executive director. If you can meet this within the next nine months to one year, you're going to be the substantive um, um, executive director. And of course, that within that one year, we, we kind of surpassed all that. And um and I was a bit, we're able to, I was able to, you know, help the organization to grow and to expand. That's an amazing story. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, That's thanks. Really I mean, it was, it was, it was massive teamwork. It was, a, it was an interesting period, uh, massive teamwork, massive. I, I think one thing people, some people don't realize until they step in is that working in nonprofit sector is probably one of the toughest places to work in. Yes, I what agree. What I mean with is that. that it's a lot of hard work, a lot of hard work. Yes. And the work never ends. Yeah, especially no. if you're in a serious nonprofit organization. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. true. I can attest to that. I can attest to that. All right. So we've heard your story, we've heard your journey, and it is a remarkable one. So, Noah, what I want you to share is some of the strategies that you would have used and learned, and even some of the challenges that you've had over the years, you know, volunteering, leading, um, starting an NGO. And the first one that I'd want you to respond to is within the NGO space, so even in hope and now in leap, how do you decide what issues to tackle? within the NGO? How do you decide on the impact that you want to create within your NGO? Okay. Um, thanks, Lanicia. Um, one thing you find with a lot of um, young people um, working within the nonprofit sector or starting an organization or leading one is um, many times we get so excited about what we're passionate about we get so excited about ideas of what change or what or what's the solutions we want to offer I would say that um, to zero in on exactly what you want to do, you know, just like in business, you, you have to think about those, the needs of those we are trying to meet. So, you, you, know, you know, we call it needs assessment, right? So yes. for you to really zero in on something that will be very effective and very impactful, you need to put yourself in the shoes of, um, of the beneficiaries. You need to listen to the voice of the beneficiaries. You need to understand um, directly from their voice and from the analysis of their voice from other people what the problem is and where the issues are. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a particular story we always talk about in the nonprofit sector about 
some some non-profits that came to build wells because they noticed that women used to trek 30 minutes to 45 minutes and going to fetch water their 45 minutes back um, um, to fetch water for their families every morning. And right. they were like, oh, this is a waste of time. Why don't we build and, and dig a well close to the community? And they came and dug the well, but they realized that nobody was using the well because they did not you know, pause to ask the women, why do you prefer, why do you like going to fetch water for five minutes? And for the women, they had their reasons. It was the time to catch up on all their gists and all the gossips. It was the time to stretch their legs and leave their husbands, you know, and, and get some fresh air. So they didn't really want to be fetching water so close to themselves there. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, if we really want to zero in, we need to, we need to, you know, don't just, don't stay on the surface level of what you're passionate about um, and, and start generating solutions that will be looking for problems to solve. First of all, go and try to understand the problem for those who, who are facing the problem. Analyze the problem. Have conversations. You know, um, program design or project design in the nonprofit is meant to be a participatory, contributory process, you know, with stakeholders, multiple stakeholders participating. So, and more importantly, we need to pursue evidence-based solutions. So beyond even listening to the beneficiaries, you want to read the accounts of others who are trying to solve that problem or who are working with those same age group or those beneficiary group. You know, before you isolate and zero in on what you want to do. Um, so I would say it's not just passion. I would say it's a bit of intelligence and a bit of um, fact finding, basically. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. What, how, how have you, what strategies have you used to sustain the growth of the NGO and also the impact that you have been making over the years? Do you have any particular strategies that you use for sustenance? sustainability okay sustainability right um so let me let me um let me approach this question quite differently um i'm, I'm still going to speak about you know the financial sustainability bit um yes but i mean one thing i've found one thing i've learned from starting up living up and coming to leap africa which is which was way more structured than even a bigger organization and then being in leap africa for almost four years now is that mm -hmm. There are some things that could affect the sustainability of an organization and even impact on its ability to attract resources. So the first thing is, as the founder or as, the, as part of the leadership of a nonprofit organization, you want to take seriously the vision, the mission, and the values of the organization as the foundation of your organization. They are the anchors. They are one of the reasons why the organization will not sink and would thrive and would attract a lot of partners and a lot of resources, including people that will sustain it. So... Um, being very clear, being very articulate, being very serious about the vision, what you want to be or what you want the world to be or your, the community to be after your organization realizes its entire potential and mission, what you want to do and values, how you want to behave, how you want, what you want your organization to be known for in terms of the reputation, so the values of the organization. Those things are fundamental and important. And I would say the next thing is the structure and the processes within the organization. So how are you managing knowledge? That means, um, for instance, many nonprofit organizations don't document their stories, right? They don't maintain the numbers. They don't do any form of monitoring and evaluation. All this ultimately impacts on how far the organization can grow, you know? And so, so many nonprofits just plateau because they, they cannot grow beyond this fundamental structure. You know, I remember one of the, one of the, pers one of, one, one of the, speakers I love the most is Miles Moreau. I know he's of um, Caribbean descent, Bahamas. Um, and he used to say something that 
you know, one of the statements I picked from him, he said, God and nature will not allow something to grow where there is no management, when there is no proper management. And, you know, it, there's a limit to how weeds will grow. Nothing will grow beautiful when you're not weeding, when you're not um, clearing the ground and you're really being intentional. Um, mm -hmm. So the growth of a nonprofit um, really, really is ampered or, or, or established by the management and leadership of work in terms of the structures, the systems, because everything has, has a part to play. So let me, let me now go back to sustainability. In Leap Africa, we, we pursue three bottom lines. And um, in, in this order of importance, we pursue impact. Secondly, we pursue influence and we pursue income. And these three things are literally the way we, we track our sustainability. Now, because we exist for impact first, we know that the more we make quality impact, the more we deepen our impact, the more we, we broaden our impact on the beneficiary groups that we seek to, to serve, the, such organizations that do that well, people want to work with them. Partners want to, want to invest in them, right? So impact is important. Making impact is extremely important. That means the products you are, you, the services you're offering, the products you're offering, the interventions you're offering should be making impact for real. Everyone, should, the communities where those beneficiaries are should be able to attest to the impact. The impact should be real, tangible. And that's why you want to understand the problem very well. Secondly, impact is good, but even more important than impact is influence. And what is influence? We're talking about influence with people. So beyond the beneficiaries that you directly meet, those who are together with the beneficiaries, how, are, how influential are you as an organization? Impact will make you influential to the beneficiaries, but telling your stories will make you more, very influential to many more stakeholders. So you want to pay attention to this, the thought leadership the organization is providing, you know, the, your brand, how you, your brand projection as an organization, you know, the, your share of voice and your share of mind in, in, in the multiple beneficiaries and multiple stakeholder groups, including government, other nonprofits, the private sector in your, com in your country or your community. Um, and finally, um, then if you do those too well, income will directly flow. Right. I mean, income is very easy for an organization that has a strong brand that is influential, you know, and that's making impact to be able to apply for grants and get it. Of course, when it has all the structures in place to be able to attract those resources, that's what we found. We found that, um, I mean, even in this COVID-19 COVID period, we found some, we've, we've, we've been able to even get more resources that we never planned for. And people trust us oh. to even say, you know what? Can we give you more resources so that you can help serve the vulnerable during this period, even though that's not our direct work? I mean, but we have an army of young social entrepreneurs we support, and we're just channeling those resources through them, you know, to serve the communities that they work in. But very crucial to, to people think sustainability is just money, but no, the beginning of sustainability is impact. The ability to make impact, the ability to sustain impact. The second level is influence. That beyond the impact you made in that community, what you've done in that community makes you, you, makes you more attractive to many other people. Many other people have hold you in high regard because you tell your stories on the right platforms. You project your voice, you know, leveraging all the social media and all the communication channels you can explore. You, are, you have a seat at the right table. You are, you're, you, as the leader, as the executive, you know, you are, you, are, you are visible. You are speaking about the issues. You are providing solutions. You know, people see you as an authority, you know, in the space you are in. And guess what? Income will follow, right? And... Yeah. Outside of that is now proper man management, like we talked about. So many nonprofit organizations don't have endowment fund. So 
I mean, I mean, we all know that, um, for instance, Harvard has one of the hugest endowments of, of you know, Harvard is a technically a nonprofit organization. Universities in the U.S., most of them are nonprofit organizations, that's where. Um, yes. How many, how many nonprofits have endowments? That means every year from your surplus, from, from the surplus you get, yes, we don't make profits, but if we run a nonprofit very well, we should have some surplus when we deduct expenses from income. The surpluses can go into a long-term fund that continues to grow and helps to establish um, your organization in perpetuity and helps you to be sustainable in the long run. You, you should also be very smart to, to own landed property. So Leap Africa, for instance, for the past 10 years and um, eight years thereabout, we've owned, we own our office in Lagos, right? Now, we, we invested some resources um, from our endowment funds to even buy a bigger, a bigger, bigger land space, and we're starting to build um, a, a big leadership institute. So all this, so we don't have to bother about rent, even if we don't have resources. If we don't attract income, we don't have to bother about things like rent and others. Then you, the next thing is you want to work on your fundraising strategy. And the secret is this, fundraising is fundraising. Um, just like personally, you have friends and who do you call your friends? Those who believe in you, who trust in you, who even overlook your errors part time. I mean, so we're not asking for perfect organization, but you want to have and recruit and, and rally around your organization and your mission, some friends. So some organizations that will believe in you, that trust in you. So through your communication channels, through your partnership development channels, you want to build friends. You want to, you want to stay on top of the mind of your friends. And this, has to, this is very intentional. That means um, you are communicating to them. You might be using your email newsletters. Or we're not asking you to spam them, but at least if you're a nonprofit organization, you want to, you want to be sharing some information about the work you're doing on a monthly basis through a newsletter, right? You probably yes. want to um, do some print newsletters that you can email to them, you know, some, some, some news bulletin you can email to them. You want to send your annual report to them. You want to engage their, it's easy when you're engaging their art and their hands first before you ask for their resources. So you want to engage their heads, their hands, you know, as consultants or as volunteers or as mentors or as speakers on some of your events. Um, and of course, depending on the, the sector which that friend or that potential partner is, you want to understand their interests and align your interests with theirs because partnership is all about win-win, right? It's all about mutual benefits, right? So um, you want, that's something that has, that has really, really been helpful and useful. And another thing is we cannot speak about um, the, the sustainability of a nonprofit without speaking about the board. So the, the topmost leadership that's and governance of a nonprofit Right, so you want to have the right people on your board, um, and you want to make sure that you do what boards do. So you meet quarterly as much as possible. You you talk about the the, the midterm objectives and the future of the organization. You know, you tap into their wisdom, their, their networks, their, and the resources they can provide to be, to help strengthen your organization. And finally, I think I mean, Lanisha, I know you 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 also are thinking about you know social entrepreneurship and hybrid nonprofits. I think you did your. Your yeah. dissertation, right, was on hybrid nonprofit, if I if I remember correctly, right? Well, I actually so, it on how NGOs can become sustainable by creating social enterprises. Ah, okay. I pivoted. Ah, okay, okay. So, also, you want to think of how can you leverage the capabilities you have and the and the 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 the, the solutions you have for a fee, you know? So it's not everything you do for free. Are there are there other people that can pay for your services? I know they are not in the vulnerable group and you can offer some of your strengths and your capabilities and services for um, as a way of earning income for the for the sustainability of your organization. 
Yes. Yep. Thank you for sharing. You've shared some remarkable gems for me. Thank you so much. What tips would you give to a young person who is tossed between starting their own NGO versus working in an already established NGOs? I know that there are some young persons out there who think they can only make an impact if they start their own. Um, do you have any tips where that is concerned? Okay, so I would say um, you don't want to rush to start. You want to also evaluate your reasons for starting. Um, so that's the first thing. So I just, you know, just just like um, we, we are, we're trying to be careful and make sure, not, even though there are no jobs in some parts of the world, we don't want to say everyone should be an entrepreneur, right? right? Um, so I would say evaluate your reasons for starting. Um, um, evaluate your reasons for starting, if at all. Um, and if, if you're convinced that you want, that you should, you know, and that that's, that's the journey, that's your journey to take, then by all means, please dive into it. It will be challenging. It won't be necessarily easy, but I mean, go for it. But you want to you want to be make sure that you you're doing it for the right right reasons. Um, but that said, we can't all start a nonprofit, and I think every young young people should recognize that if you're really burning with a passion, you might even be better off just partnering with an existing one or going to serve within an existing one, right? Um, so I mean, and and that, that doesn't take anything from you. That that will pull out all the best of you also, and even still give you any opportunities. So far, you're diligent and excellent in what you're doing. So just just think it through. You know, think it through. Speak to mentors. I'm sure if you speak to Lanisia, but if you want to, if you want to have a conversation, you can chat me up or something, and we can just evaluate that. But just make sure you do it for the right reasons. I've seen some young people, you know, see that maybe some people have been successful. Um, maybe people like Lanisia, you know, that get a lot of opportunities here and there and abroad and everything. <laughs> you know, and they're like, you know what, I'm going to go start my non-profit. Yeah. <laughs> what do you say, Lanisia? I said, what do you say? Femi, I'm sure young me, right? are looking at you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, if if you if you sit me, if you sit me down or sit Lanisia down or maybe some of our other colleagues, you see that honestly, we we were clear that this was our path and this was what we were meant to do. And we poured ourselves to it, into it. We poured ourselves into it, even at the risk of our of our own careers, at our own life. I remember turning down jobs when I was going to start off full time. I remember turning down jobs in banks, in management consulting firms, in oil and gas firms. My um my 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 first stipend. I mean, I worked for free for a long time. Then even when I, my my first stipend was um fifty thousand naira. Fifty thousand naira is like hundred and twenty twenty dollars. Right. And I did that for, for the entire period. Yeah. $120 a month was my salary. Right. Um, and that was because the organization couldn't afford more than that. Right. Um, but I was passionate about it. In fact, I remember my parents calling um, family meeting that come out with their son who graduated with a first class and we a lot of organizations are trying to recruit. Now wants to go and start earning $120 when he could be earning $1,000 easily. Um, want to just go and start a nonprofit. So for me, I had a very strong reason, a burning desire. In fact, I knew I was taking a risk, but I kind of had the assurance that, you know, if I take that leap of, of faith, I was still going to land on my feet, right? And luckily yes. and graciously, that's what happened to me. Yeah. Yes, that is so true. And that has been my testament also, taking that leap of faith, just pursuing passion, and then over time, it pays off. So I, I have seen and I'm still seeing that now. So I agree, I agree yeah. with you where that is concerned. Femi, 
So your journey yep. is a remarkable one, but did you encounter any challenges on your journey? Can you share with us any challenge that you would have encountered along your NGO journey? Well, um, let me see. I'm sure you, like, you know, challenges are like every week, every week, every, <laughs> a weekly thing, sort of. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, challenges are the reasons why the work is exciting. And, and there've been different types of challenges. I remember when I was in Hope then, um, and I, I'm, a, I'm a dreamer. I like doing, you know, daring for things. You know, I, I'm a possibility thinker. So I remember then we used to just run one camp in Lagos, Nigeria. And even though the camp was already oversubscribed, I mean, we only had at that point 250 slots, but we had to be turning back. We used to have a thousand plus applications. So I was asking myself, why are we turning back 750 people? And why do, do we have people flying and you know, traveling from different parts of Nigeria trying to come for this camp? And for one weird reason, I just told my team, let's have, let's, let's, let's do four camps simultaneously. You know, so um, Lagos is quite far from Abuja, quite, quite far from Portaco. These are very, very far places and other states in Nigeria. Why don't we have camps in all these locations? So even though it wasn't the easiest thing to do one camp, I was now telling my team, let's multiply the challenges by four, by hosting four or three other camps and making it four camps. And I remember I was, at, by the time we started the, 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 the camp, the, we only had resources for the first three days, I tell you. But we started anyway. We didn't turn back anybody. We started the four camps. And I was, we were, I and my team were still actively fundraising, even though people, the campers were already on the camp and they're feeding. So, I, I mean, one big challenge I've, I've faced over and over is fundraising. Right now, one of the biggest challenges I, I face is um, we, we want to, um, last year we launched our new strategy plan. We've had this land that we always wanted to build into a, um, a leadership center. And right there, right then, I didn't even discuss with my board. I announced in front of 1,500 people that we're going to be launching the center at our 20th anniversary, which is 2022, right? Mm -hmm. So here we are right now, and I'm trying to raise more than $7 million for that building. <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting that's challenge. I mean, but, so that, that, that journey, I mean, that's, that's one. Then the second one is, you know, working in a volunteer-based organization is different from working in a big non-profit like, like Leap Africa. So one of the biggest challenges I face leading a non-profit of this size is managing people. Um, and, and I've had successes with that. I mean, in fact, I thought I had, I had that covered in hope. One of the things I, I did well, and everyone says I did very well was, you know, attracting and leading people, but most of those people were volunteers. So I think leading volunteers is quite different from people that you're paying salary to. Right. Um, so I would say I had a bit of challenge in that. Um, and I had to, I had to relearn on learn. How is it different? Can you tell us how is it different? Well, um, I, I'm trying to think. I'm, I'm also trying to think about why it's quite different. Um, so one is that if you're working with volunteers, I think naturally as the leader or the manager, you are, you are very careful, you're very mindful, or psychologically you just don't, you know, if they give their best, you're motivating them to give their best. If they give their best, fine. But if they don't give their best, I mean, there's no exchange of of, of there's no salary payment, you know. You get what I'm trying to say. So you might yes. look away or not have those expectations. Yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. But yes. when you're working in a team, even though yes, you're counting and you're trying to inspire um that internal that um dr drive and that commitment from within, you still have to you still have to apply management. You know, you still have to you know have all the targets and have all that and do what regular organizations would do, right? In yes. terms of reprimanding people and all that. 
And so that's that is a different ball game entirely. I mean, you win with some, you lose with some. And you know the funniest thing, you you, you in nonprofit you need talent because of the seriousness and the the or the the level of intensity that we work work with. But you cannot pay the talents like some other sectors. You can't have, yeah. you don't have the resources in some instances to be able to pay all the talent. So your own approach to motivating and inspiring people is, is totally different because you don't have the war chest of 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 maybe a big multinational, as it were, right? right. Um so you know that that's just been that's that's been that's taking a bit of um adjusting to trying different things, winning on some, losing on some. I, I mean that's been my big that, I would say that's been my biggest challenge. I, I kind of find it easier to um, to fundraise, you know, and to to build partnerships and all that, you know, that takes a journey. I kind of have, I figured out how well, but I mean, I thought I'd figured out people, but I still find myself like, okay, this is just every new year brings its own new challenges. Every individual is unique, and you know, every situation is unique in its own regard. Yeah, but I mean, that's me. Okay, Femi. So one of the last things that I want to ask you: What have been your recipes for success can you share with us the main ingredients for your success to date um okay i think one is association honestly um you want to pay attention to who you roll with um because who you roll with determines where you roll to um Mm. so you want to pay attention to the to the friends to the friends, to the role models, to the mentors. So there are different categories of association. One is are your colleagues and your peers and your friends. Honestly, you want to roll with people who are passionate, who are serious, who are diligent. It rubs off on you and you rub off on them ultimately. And so you want to, so rolling with the right people has really been useful for me from my uni days up until today. Um, and, and she's really been good. I have very phenomenal friends um, who, are, who are achievers. You know, their work, they inspire me. I inspire them. We, we draw from each other. Then I think equally important are the mentors, you know, um, and the role models. So role models are those who you admire and who you feel like they are playing roles that you aspire to in the future. Whose results are your aspirations? Um, they might not know you. I mean, but maybe you're following them on social media. You're following their trajectory. You're learning from them virtually. But mentors are those who have your time. So I've been privileged, you know, to have mentors that really, you know, cheered me on, who encouraged me, who inspired me. And who helped me to accelerate my journey. So my journey was accelerated because of the right associations, I would say. Secondly, knowledge will always give you an edge. So you want to be, you want to go for knowledge. You want to expose yourself. And, you know, we're just blessed in our own generation with, you know, you can listen to the right podcast like this um, and learn from people. You can, you can, you can, you know, go to take courses on Coursera. You can, you know, you can listen to, follow the right YouTube channels you know, um, read the right ebooks. You have, we just have access to a lot of knowledge. So you just need to pay attention to studying and reading because with the major criteria, the major asset you need for success is your mind. And you want to develop your mind. You want to grow your mind. You want to groom your mind. You know, it, your mind and how you've grown it and how you've developed it determines the possibilities you can pursue, the opportunities you see, and even the problems you can solve. So you want to develop your mind and develop then the next one is action. You know, many young people have dreams. They have good ideas, but they don't take action, right? Yeah. Um, they, don't, they don't make a move. They don't show up. So I would say, you know what? Do it afraid, you know, um, um, step out. Of course, I'm saying step out with guidance. That's why I talked about mentors. Step out with wisdom. That's why I talked about books and exposure and learning. But I would say at some point, you just have to step out and learn as you go on the journey. 
you know, step out. You, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, gained, right? So you want to take action on that dream, on that idea, right? So um, I would say that actually. And finally, I'm, I'm, I'm a religious person. Um, well, I don't like that word religious, but um, I'm a faith person. So also I, I typically recognize that, um, you know, prayer and, and just, and, you know, what people call luck, what may I go, call God, right? Is also useful on your journey, very useful for your journey and critical on your journey. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. Amazing. All right. So there's one question that I ask all my guests that I'm going to ask you also, Febby. Femi. Okay. What is your superpower? Uh, <laughs> all right. I don't know. Well, I, I, I think one thing is, I think is my optimism. I, 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 I'm a dreamer. I'm a dreamer that likes doing. So I, I dare the impossible. I, I just, I love, I love, and I, and I enjoy the thrill of pursuing something bigger than me. I, I think that's my superpower that I can stare at a Goliath or at an elephant as an ant and just say, you know what, I'm going to take you down basically. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a powerful superpower to have. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. And that's a great note to end this powerful amazing remarkable interview on thank you so much femi for sharing your journey with us my and this is my first podcast ever anyway i i tell you this is my first podcast my my leap africa was i mean we're starting the podcast series this year i mean but yeah. this is like the first i'm a guest in i've been on radios new t- tvs and all but i've never done a podcast so, so thanks for the opportunity lanisha Amazing. That's great. So, and thank you so much. I'm sure that when you start your podcast at Leap Africa, it's going to be inspiring. It's going to be impactful. And I'm sure that you will be getting other podcast interview invitations because you do have a remarkable story. You do have an inspiring story and you have some very amazing and um, strategic and, and just powerful gems to share with people. Um, within the NGO sector, but I'm sure they can also be applied to other sectors in terms of leadership, management, growth, sustainability. So thank you so much, Femi. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Lanisha. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to another episode of the NGO Journey podcast. If you love this episode, please download and subscribe to hear others. If you want help to start your own nonprofit organization, download our free checklist on our website, thengiojourney.com, or follow us on Instagram to get other resources for your nonprofit organization.